is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. Hello. Good to have you with me this Thursday, the 29th of December. Michelle Stanley is my name. And on the show today, there have been questions raised around the intent behind a proposed development precinct, which is being touted as sustainable and the pathway towards a decarbonised economy. But the business case suggests the focus is on fossil fuels. This is essentially a carbon bomb um, that's going to be set off. What we should be doing is using this as an opportunity to build infrastructure that is about pivoting into the transition of a cleaner, greener, new economy. We'll get more detail on that discussion shortly. Also today, talking about carbon emissions, or in this case, reducing carbon emissions. A company based in the West reckons it's about to become the first to cultivate asparagopsis at an offshore marine lease site. That's the seaweed that's used as a feed supplement to reduce methane emissions in livestock. There are a few groups growing it in WA, but these guys are set to do things a little differently. The big goal would be to be able to expand the industry to such a scale, to be able to produce enough asparagopsis to cover all the cattle in Australia and then hopefully move overseas. Um, And if we're able to do that, then we can seriously make massive impact on climate change. Um, That would be probably my biggest goal. Yeah, it's a big goal by the sounds of it. You'll hear more on that after one. And if you want to get in touch today, 0487 99 1057 is the SMS. It has been a wet end to the month, to say the least, across the Territory. I wonder how much rain you've had at your place. 0487 1057 is the text line. More than 300 millimetres of rain has fallen in parts of the Victoria River District over the past week. And in the Barclay, up to 200 mils. Let me know what it looks like at your place. At Alexandria Station, Kelly Locke says she's never seen rain like it. Um, so all up, we've had 230 mils here at Alexandria Station. Um, and then our two outstations, Sedan, had 275.2. And Gallipoli, our other one, is 120.8. So, yeah, a bit wet. Yeah, a bit weird to say the least. What's that like at this time of year? Is that kind of typical to end December with, you know, plus 230 mils? Uh, Not really, no. Um, This is the first time that we've seen um, such big rain. Um, Yeah, on the, like I've never seen 156 mil in one day um, fall down. So yeah, it's pretty nice to see and lovely to see all the water out and about. Well, what's it like while it's falling, you know, 150 mils in in one day? What does that look like? Oh, it's just rain all day. Um, I don't think seeing constant rain um, all night is just something that you hear on the tin roof and you just hear it all come down. And it's really nice to see and to hear. Um, yeah, it's just really good. And what does it look like now? Uh, nice and green, the grass is growing, uh, a bit soggy and wet, but yeah, the kids are loving playing in the mud and yeah, the grass looks, I don't think I've seen the grass look so green. 
So, yeah. Yeah, what a good Christmas gift as well, um, being oh. able to <laughs> play in the mud. Definitely a very big Christmas gift to be able to play in the mud. So what are you up to now then? Are you having to sort of move cattle around to, to get them out of all the water? Um, we're in, like, the manager, Haka, has just gone in the chopper um, and has the look around. Um, and, yeah, I don't think we're moving cattle at the moment, but... Um, yeah, I think we've just got to wait and see. I think um, the river's another dropping, so which is a good thing. Um, but, yeah, I think we're doing okay, okay at the moment. Well, that's good to hear. And, and um, the, you mentioned the rivers are dropping. Um, do you have lakes on the property that are, that are filling up? Yes, uh, we do have a few dams and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I'd say, yeah, they're filling up, which is nice to see. Um, but yeah, when the chopper pilot comes back and stuff and shows us all the photos of where all the water's laying and everything, it's like a sea, sea of water at the moment, which is really good to see. Have you, have you been keeping an eye on the forecast or what you're going to be expecting into the new year? Actually, no, I haven't. I haven't been looking at it. Um, but yeah, that would be something that we'll do in the next couple of days or something. But it's nice today with a sun out and drying us up a little bit. So what do you do now? Um, you know, we're at the 29th of December, around the corner from from the new year and so much rain already. What's the plan for the next few days? Um, so the plan for the next few days with the people that are here, um, at the moment they're on the whippersnippers and going to be mowing when it dries out a little bit and just general maintenance around the station because we can't drive anywhere. Um so, yeah, we're just pretty much doing odds and sods stuff that doesn't get done through the year and fixing up everything. Maybe a bit more time to watch the cricket? Yeah, that's too. <laughs> My husband's a very big cricket fan, so, yes, he'll probably be sitting there watching the cricket. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you so much for chatting with the Country Hour. Enjoy that rainfall, and um, hopefully we'll catch up with you again soon. Thank you so much, and you have a lovely new year. Kelly Locke from Alexandria Station. The rainfall, it's been pretty widespread over the past 24 hours, more than 200 mils. I think it was 230 at Alexandria and um, even more at some of the other nearby properties. Superjack Station in the Tanami had 70 mils. Victoria River Downs, 58. Channing Creek had 65 millimetres. Catherine had 75. And Wangalara in central Arnhem Land had 92 millimetres. I wonder if you can top it. How much rain has fallen at your place in the last day or so? 0487 double nine one zero five seven. Let me know what it looks like. Now with all of that rain there are there are plenty of roads closed across the territory today. Dan Fitzgerald joins me and you've got an update on the railway, Dan. Yeah, good news on the railway is that it has reopened today uh, after it was closed due to flooding. Uh, the rails operator, Horizon, uh, got back to me earlier confirming that, yep, it's up and running. Uh, so that is good news, Great. especially for uh, those freight and supplies getting back into the territory via rail. Uh, But as for roads, uh, the big one is that the Barclay Highway is still closed due to flooding between the Tablelands Highway intersection and the Queensland border. So there's currently no roads access to Queensland right now. Mm. Uh, There's some pictures of the Barclay Highway uh, and some of the damage done to it up on the ABC News website. Uh, And it's pretty severe. There's sort of a a couple of metres ripped out of the edge of the highway there. So... uh, Mm. Exactly when that's going to be up and running again, uh, we're not sure. 
Uh, but some of the other roads are still closed this afternoon are the Sandover Highway, the Plenty, and the Tanami Road that is closed in between the end of the Seals section to the WA border. Stuart Highway is still open, uh, but there is some water over the road at some various locations between Tennant Creek and Barrow Creek. There's a bit of traffic management in place there, so if you're on the road in that region, please drive carefully. Uh, in the top end, the Buntine Highway is closed and the Buchanan Highway sections of that are closed. Uh, if you're after more T-Dale, uh, best to head to the Road Report NT website for the up-to-date information. Thank you very much for that, Dan. And, yeah, just probably great ad- great advice to be checking that because we know that floodwaters can rise pretty quickly, so keep an eye on that uh, Road Report NT website. It's 21 to 1 on the country hour. Let's continue talking about the rainfall because at at Tobermore Station on the NT Queensland border, floodwaters came right up around the homestead, but they were held back by a levee bank. Hugh Godfrey has just flown into the station a short time ago. He spoke with Dan Fitzgerald about what the country looked like from the air. I left Brisbane this morning early and got into Mount Isa and then I got a plane trip. One of the neighbours gave me a lift down here to home and like there's a there's a lot of water around the Urundangi, like the the pub's sort of under a little bit of pressure. I, I couldn't honestly say how high it's going to go, but there's a lot of water coming past Urundangi going down the Georgina and then as you get closer to us, um, yeah, look down here at Tobemori on itself and it yeah, there's there's a lot of water gone past already um and it started to turn here it's um yeah, it's on the it's on the fall here which is nice but yeah it certainly got right up um like the house the complex was never under any sort of pressure but um it was i'm not sure i haven't been home long enough to tell to say whether or not it's been the same height as the 2019 flood that that took the complex um but i think it would have had to have been very close um there's a lot of water gone past yeah, the Tadmori house last night um, and yesterday afternoon. And but the levee bank we have now is a lot bigger and a lot more substantial. And yeah, it'll it would have handled another, you know, two metres probably. But I wouldn't like to test that either, Dan. Yeah, I saw a photo. It might have been the day before um, yesterday. Uh, the homestead was totally surrounded by water, being held back by that levee bank. Uh, is there still water around in the in the river? Yeah, certainly. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So it's still right around the complex now, and it'll probably do that for another, for quite a few days yet. Um, it's dropped, like the you know the top two foot's gone out of it, which is where the bulk of the water is, I suppose. But it, um, yeah, like when I I landed here inside the complex only half an hour ago, and it's um, yeah, every fence around the complex is pretty much toast. Um, the flood water's sort of taken every, taken all the fences around the house here pretty well, and I can you know I'm looking at the kitchen window in here, I can see a, a flattened end assembly and just from the water where it's gone over, but, you know, not really substantial problems to us, like a bit of fencing. You'll take the grass over a little bit of fencing all day long. Yeah. Um, uh, tell us what this rain does mean for you there at the property. Oh, it's a massive start to, to summer for us. Like, we were, yeah, Tadmori, we were pretty light on for feed before this, um, and we've had 140-something mil here. I'm not exactly sure. Manus Creek's had 190 Um you know, there's, and then you get up closer to the Barkley, and there's been some some huge falls. Um, yeah, it's it's a bit of a it's a magnificent start to summer for us, and we'd we'd like to think this is only the start. I hope, but because we were very light on, we didn't have a lot of feed left, um, and it didn't make it completely right down to the top end of the Simpson. We, when you get down the bottom of Tobermory, like we only had 
around that sort of 30 to 40 million places down the bottom, I'm to be led to be believed. So, um, yeah, so right down in the germs at the bottom of us, it, it's certainly not as heavy, but, um, yeah, we'll take whatever we can get. You know, we're only, we're not even out of 2023 yet, so, um, you know, we're not, <laughs> we haven't even got to New Year's, so anything before now is a good start, because normally you don't get it till February or March, but, um, but yeah, we're well on our way now. We, we, um, we won't need too much more to keep us firing along. Yeah, last couple of wet seasons, um, that sort of country in the Barkley especially hasn't sort of gotten any rain since until January, even February. So uh, this December rain must be must must make you feel good. Yeah, it certainly does. It um, yeah, it sort of cut short my holiday a little bit. They'll um, but we were away in Brisbane, but that's fine. You you take this when it comes. Um, these sort of falls don't don't happen up here very often, so there'll be a lot of flood fencing to do and a few helicopter hours, but that's nothing new and. Um, yeah, some of these cattle that were, you know, down the bottom of us were a little bit hungry. You know, they'll, they'll um, some of them will certainly start to freshen up. And um, yeah, for, with a bit of luck, it's only the first sort of back end of a cyclone. Look, we'd like to see a few more this year, but, um, but we'll um, we'll take what we get, and we've just got to find a few a few men to go out there and flood fencing now. And not everyone likes doing that job, unfortunately. But the but the main thing is the complex is fine, and um, we haven't really lost in any money or any machinery too much per se look it's not really a, it's not really one of those events we sort of like to be a little bit prepared but you're never prepared for everything obviously when you get that sort of quantity of rain I don't think I would have thought the fellows up on a the Barkley there'll be some dramas up there but you know to what end I would not know yet well fingers crossed for a bit more rain I, I better let you get back to it thanks for having a chat with the country hour no worries Dan thank you Hugh Godfrey from Tobermory Station with Dan Fitzgerald. It's so good to hear about those rainfall totals. I hope you got plenty as well. You will hear from the Bureau of Meteorology after the one o'clock news for a look at what's to come for the next few days, rainfall and weather-wise. But if you would like to share uh, what you've had at your place with the Country Hour. 0487 is the text line. Let me know what it looks like. You can even send a photo celebrating some of the beautiful rainfall we've had. 0487 Let's have some music and continue with that rainfall theme. This is John Williamson, Raining on the Rock. Hello, my name is Salaudi Botongoleoi and I am from Crocodile Island Rangers, one of the women coordinators. And you are listening to the Country Hour. Michelle Stanley with you this afternoon. Questions have been raised over the environmental merits of Darwin's Middle Arm Project. The Middle Arm Sustainable Development Precinct has been proposed for the Darwin Harbour and it's being promoted to create a pathway towards a decarbonised economy through things like renewable hydrogen production and critical minerals processing. But documents obtained by the ABC show the original business case for the Sustainable Development Precinct described it as a new gas demand centre. Federal Green Senator Dorinda Cox says $1.5 billion in Commonwealth funding is effectively being used to subsidise the fossil fuel industry. What this case articulates is, is the clear use of, of gas from the Beedaloo and to middle arm for the use of, of petrochemicals. So, 
you know, the, the downstream products that are, are listed within this business case, um, you know, and, and the use of, of not the domestic gas supply, which is the shortage that the government, the current Albanese government are talking about. This is about export. It's not about local domestic supply. The federal government has, when the Labor government uh, approved the $1.5 billion, which confirmed what the previous Morrison government had already uh, promised, uh, described it as funding towards um, a pathway towards decarbonisation. Does that stack up with what's in this uh, original business case? Absolutely not. And I think that what, what we are seeing is the the excessive amount of emissions, climate emissions, that will, this is essentially a carbon bomb um, that's going to be set off in the Middle Arm Precinct. Um, you know, you cannot use gas to burn uh, and, and for the for the production of these end products down, downstream in the supply chain, use gas to do that, to facilitate that process and think that there are no emissions attached to that. What we should be doing is using this as an opportunity to build infrastructure that is about pivoting into the transition of a cleaner, greener, new economy, which globally our export customers are asking for, are demanding from Australia. We have a great opportunity to look at uh, green hydrogen uh, infrastructure in relation to Middle Arm, but it's a lost opportunity to spend $1.5 billion from the federal government giving a handout to build something that essentially will be obsolete, you know, in a few years. You know, we cannot keep building and, and putting money, public subsidies, uh, into abandoned assets of our future. We have to start thinking about how are we going to build infrastructure and assets that are about green hydrogen and renewable energy transition uh, and build energy security, not just for us here domestically, but also our international customers. The Territory Government and, and the Federal Government as well say that uh, gas is part of that transition. What do you say to that? I say that we, we know that there are 118 new coal and gas projects in the pipeline awaiting approval and for expansion. So what I say to that, it is not... Um, and what we've seen only a few weeks ago is the federal government taking action against gas companies, putting gas price caps in place, making sure that we are catering to the domestic, uh, you know, gas uh, market because we have enough supply. We don't need any more supply. And, and in fact, we need to be finding new ways of doing that. And electrification is the way of the future. What we need is that for households in Australia, but also for business. And we cannot continue to create a need for gas to be part of that equation. We have to start moving now. The, the Territory Government says Middle Arm will include, uh, in fact, it promotes Middle Arm as a sustainable precinct and notes that it'll include uh, things such as renewables, uh, renewable hydrogen uh, and critical minerals. Do you um, accept that that is part of the project and that gas is just, I suppose, part of the transition? Well, I think it's it's a classic case of greenwashing, isn't it? You know, when you can use language like sustainable, um, you know, in, in what frame are you using that? So, you know, I, I would argue that 
utilising uh, LNG for the purposes of still releasing methanol into the air as part of the emissions um, is not a sustainable way of the future. And we know that, you know, we've, we've legislated targets now that are about our Paris Agreement. And um, we can argue that, uh, you know, about the science, but I think the call globally and here in Australia from the Australian public who voted in May this year that they wanted a climate parliament and they wanted a government and an and opposition and crossbench that were going to take seriously the issues of climate change. And, uh, you know, I think calling something sustainable, but then ensuring that gas or coal uh, are still part of the equation is not responsible of this government, both at a federal level, but also of the Northern Territory government. Federal Green Senator Dorinda Cox with Jano Gibson. A spokeswoman for the Federal Minister for Infrastructure, Catherine King, rejected these concerns. She said the government was investing in common use infrastructure to give all potential users in the market the opportunity to grow and thrive. And she said this is not a subsidy for fossil fuel. The Middle Arm Project is currently being assessed by the NT Environment Protection Authority. Development is expected to begin in 2026 once approvals are granted. It's four to one on the Country Hour. Federal Trade Minister Don Farrell says Australia is in talks to expand the free trade agreement with India. The Australia-India Economic Cooperation and Trade Agreement comes into play from today. And it eliminates tariffs on 85% of Aussie exports, like wine, sheep meat and horticulture. Don Farrell says a second round trade deal could include more goods, like beef, dairy and chickpeas. We're uh, having a second round of discussions with uh, the Indian, Indian government, where we hope to extend the range of products uh, that will be included in our uh, in our free trade agreement. The Prime Minister is visiting uh, uh, India later, uh, oh, sorry, early next uh, early next year, uh, and that will give us uh, an opportunity to further extend our uh, our trading relationship with the uh, with the Indian government. And also, as part of this agreement, was a thousand visas for, and I think some of them were working holiday visas, if I'm correct. Will those um, working holiday makers have to complete the 88 days of farm work in rural areas? Um, look, those uh, are issues that we we have to uh, finally uh, determine. But um, I uh, I would be confident that the uh, Australian economy benefits very significantly from these additional Indian workers. As as you know, right throughout the uh, the country, there are labour shortages, and we're looking to these uh, 1,000 new Indian uh, uh, visa recipients uh, to fill some of the gaps that uh, currently exist in our workforce, particularly in the country. Now, 1,000 visas, when you compare that to the actual worker shortage in Australia, which is tens of thousands of people, is there going to be scope as well in your second round of agreements to expand the number of visas? Um, look, I believe that'll be one of the very significant issues that will be on the table in those uh, in those discussions. The the Indian government is uh, very keen to expand um, the uh, the opportunities for 
Indians to to come to Australia. Yeah, we'd we'd like to um, see them here. They've uh, been terrific, terrific uh, students, uh, and we'd look forward to uh, expanding our relationship with India in the in the months ahead. Now, speaking of another free trade agreement, you have just been in talks, um, I think, over the last sort of 10 days or so with um, the European Union. How is that one progressing? I've seen quotes saying that you won't just sign it for the sake of it. it that doesn't sound that positive that the uh, discussions have been going well. Oh, look, I got a very good uh, reception in uh, in uh, Europe, uh, Megan, and Australia is viewed very very positively there, but there are some tough negotiations uh, ahead. There are a number of crucial issues that are going to be very difficult on on both sides to uh, to deal with. Um, one of those issues is the issue of geographic uh, indicators, where uh, the Europeans are seeking to uh, prevent uh, Australian producers from uh, using a range of uh, names which uh, they feel uh, very uh, very strongly about. But having said all that, I, I do think that the opportunities um, are there to uh, have a, uh, a breakthrough uh, agreement uh, with the Europeans. One of the advantages that we have in those uh, negotiations is they want, uh, the Europeans want access to our critical minerals uh, and our, our rare earths. I think that's uh, going to be a very key part of the uh, of the negotiations, and I'm looking forward to trying to finalise that agreement by the middle of next year. Australia Trade Minister Don Farrell with Megan Hughes. You're off to the news now. It's one o'clock. G'day, I'm Bill Passy. I'm a fisherman. I have been for 54 years. I've loved every minute of it, and uh, welcome to the country here. Yes, hello, it's five past one. Good to have you along. Michelle Stanley with you on the Country Hour today. In this half hour, talking about carbon emissions, or or in this case, reducing carbon emissions, because a company in Western Australia reckons it's about to become the first to cultivate asparagopsis at an offshore marine lease site. That's the, you know, the seaweed that's been used as a feed supplement to cut out the methane emissions. There are a few people doing it, a few different companies, but these guys set to do things a little differently. The big goal would be to be able to expand the industry to such a scale, to be able to produce enough asparagopsis to cover all the cattle in Australia and then hopefully move overseas. Um, And if we're able to do that, then we can seriously make a massive impact on climate change. Um, That would be probably my biggest goal. Yes, some pretty big plans by the sounds and you'll hear more about them very shortly. Let's look at the weather now though. Billy Lynch is with you from the Bureau of Meteorology. Billy, there's been a fair bit of rainfall about. Yeah, good afternoon, Michelle. Um, There has, there has associated with this uh, monsoon and tropical low. So um, so ex-tropical cyclone Ellie crossed the West Australian border earlier this morning and is now... Um, sort of around that Halls Creek region um, as still a very deep tropical low um, and it's helping drive fairly active monsoon across the, the top end. Um, in terms of those rainfall figures, the, the top of our list was Walker Creek, um, just in Litchfield National Park there with 113 millimetres, Croker Island 110 um, but some other significant falls, uh, so Catherine Bray Road rain gauge, uh, 109 millimetres, Port Keats, 98, 
um, Ironwood Station in that Catherine region, 89 millimetres, uh, and down Dashwood Crossing, 85. And then, yeah, further south in the Barclay, we did see um, Tennant Creek come in with 65 millimetres. So there are all some pretty decent rainfall totals. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's a severe weather warning out for people in parts of the Daly and Gregory. What do they need to know? Yeah, so there's a few warnings out. Yeah, the severe weather warning um, has been yeah, finalised um, through yeah, parts of the Tanami and that southern Gregory. Um, so the focus now is really shifting towards this monsoon, which is going to become stronger over the next few days. So uh, it's just a small area at this stage across the southwest daily district affecting the communities of Wadair, Pepperminati, Palumpa. Um, the risk of some heavy rainfall, um, which could produce some, some flash flooding, uh, and also the risk of some monsoonal squalls coming through later today and into tomorrow, producing some damaging wind gusts. So I guess people in that region just need to be aware that there's still the risk of some, some heavy weather um, beginning well, pretty much as we speak, um, but increasing over the next few days. And in fact, we may see that severe weather warning area extend across a bigger area of the top end during the next couple of days. The flood watch out for the Victoria River. What's happening in that catchment? Yeah, well, with the Victoria River um, at Kalkaringi, we still have that minor flood warning uh, in place. At this stage, the, the river level is still below the bridge and that minor flood level. So it's sitting around a metre to two metres below the bridge at this stage um, and it's currently kind of levelled out but there is the risk of some further heavy falls with some thunderstorms later this afternoon and overnight hence the reason that minor flood warning is still in play um, and we still have a flood watch as well current um, for yeah much of um, well for central parts of the NT and extending up into parts of the Daly District. One change that we did make this morning um, was we removed both the Barkley and the Tanami Desert catchment from the flood watch now that that low has moved into WA. But yeah, still some risk of some, some flooding effects um, through central parts of the NT. So do check our website for, for details there. Now, the monsoon, how long is that expected to hang around for and, and how much rainfall might it bring? Yeah, look, it's potentially going to hang around for the next seven days, Michelle. Um, Oof, settle certainly, in. Yeah, it is settling in. So, um, so Ellie, or ex-tropical cyclone Ellie, is going to be quite slow moving over the Kimberley for the next couple of days. Um, so definitely tomorrow and into the weekend, it's going to be pretty strong. So a pretty windy kind of monsoon. Um, also bringing rainfall totals, you asked how much. So I guess daily totals could be anywhere from around 20 to 80 millimetres. Um, but we might see those isolated heavier falls closer to 150 millimetres. And this is likely to be the case yet yeah, for the next few days. Um, but even once ex-tropical cyclone Ellie starts moving, it's, it's, it's most likely going to move towards the Pilbara even though it starts to move away, that the monsoon is still likely to continue for much of next week. So, uh, yeah, it's likely to be a fairly wet um, period for, for the northern half of the NT. Yeah, wow. Um, is Catherine going to be impacted by some of that uh, monsoonal rain? Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. So, yeah, we saw like in the last 24 hours, um, we had that uh, 109 millimetres at um, Bray Road in Catherine there 
that's the type of rainfall that the isolated heavier falls that we can expect um so it's definitely all eyes on on all, all the rivers across the the top end including the Catherine and and the daily and um you know if we think they might rise significantly we'll definitely be getting the flood watches out for parts of the, the top end um including the Catherine region yeah what about central australia is there going to be much more rain in the next few days in the central central parts yeah, look, I mean, it is starting to ease off a bit. Um, certainly through central parts of the NT, it's still quite a humid uh, situation. So um, there will be thunderstorms with isolated heavier falls. So that's that's going to be the case for the Barkley and the Tanami uh, into the weekend and the early parts of uh, next week. But southern parts of the NT, so around the Simpson and the Lassiter and the Alice Springs region, it is a dry part of the territory. So um, for today, there's a couple of very light showers popping up on the Alice Springs radar at the moment. There is just a slight chance of some afternoon thunderstorms, but in generally it's drying out a bit through there the next couple of days. But the temperatures are creeping up into the mid-30s again. What about for those who might be on holiday or, or keen to get out on the water for the New Year's Eve celebrations? How are the coastal waters looking? Not looking great for getting your boat out on the water, I'm afraid. Um, Yeah, either today or into the the New Year's Eve weekend. So the showers and and the rain areas are going to increase. In particular, the squalls are going to increase. So probably from tomorrow, we could start seeing squalls to 40 knots or more. Um, Not to mention the fact that we've got 20 to 30 knots of wind across most of... uh, but yeah, across pretty much all our coastal waters, either today or tomorrow. So um, it's going to be windy, it's going to be choppy, it's going to be squally, and it's not going to be ideal for getting out on the water. Yeah, I'll leave you to it. Now, producer Dan um, said he saw some people surfing at Nightcliff Beach last night. Can can the surfers expect any more waves? Yeah, actually. So if you're one of those desperate surfers out there, the next couple of days is looking pretty good because the the westerly swell is probably going to increase over the next day or two. So if that's your thing, this is your window to to do it. While it lasts. Uh, Billy Lynch, thank you so much for a very comprehensive wrap. I'll let you get back to your lunch. (laughs) Thanks very much. It's 14 past one. Billy Lynch uh, from the Bureau of Meteorology. You're listening to The Country Hour. Uh, let me know how things are looking at your place. Zero four eight seven double nine one zero five seven is the text line. There's been plenty of rain falling and still plenty more to come. I'd love to hear how your place looks. Zero four eight seven double nine one zero five seven. Hello, my name is Tara Gaimala. I'm from Manway. I'm a senior ranger of Waterloo Land Management. My favourite job is taking our kids out on country and teaching them showing them rock art and passing their knowledge. And you're listening to the Country Hour. Michelle Stanley with you this afternoon. And a Western Australian company is hoping to grow and cultivate asparagopsis from scratch in waters at Fremantle near Perth. Fremantle Seaweed is the company and it's had its aquaculture lease application approved by the state government It'll see the company use 32 hectares in the Coburn Sound as an offshore marine lease site. Now, if all goes to plan, the asparagopsis crop should be harvested by early next year. Co-founders of Fremantle Seaweed, Mick Holland and Krista Kuiper, 
believe cultivating the crop at an offshore marine lease site is a first for the state. We're, we're working on an offshore marine lease site as opposed to a number of our competitors working on inshore models. Um, we're believing that the offshore model will actually ad- enable us to grow asparagopsis that has a higher bromoform content, up to 20 milligrams per gram, as opposed to an inshore model that is uh, around about 6 milligrams per gram. Um, we also have a much smaller carbon footprint and the ability to scale up, up and down the West Australian coast. Um, and produce a much more natural product. So this farm, it's all controlled? Nothing's caught in the wild? No, it's all completely uh, controlled and we'll be growing from scratch and then harvesting off our lines. Does anyone else do this? Uh, So there's some groups around Western Australia, including the Brolis Islands, and there's also Harvest Road doing the inshore model. So yeah, lots of people are working on growing asparagopsis, but we, we believe we'll be the first ones to actually cultivate it Um, add a marine lease uh, from scratch and have that finished uh, product. And what sort of difference will that make compared to your competitors? Why why have you gone down that route? Um, So growing asparagopsis at a marine lease is a very much a natural product. Uh, So when we do uh, feed it to the cattle as a supplement, um, it means that the cattle is eating a a natural product. Um, Within that asparagopsis seaweed is the bromoform that uh, reacts with the the enzymes in the cattle's gut that produces the methane. Um, but by providing them something that's very natural, it means there's no harm to the cattle and then there's, there's no issues for the consumer of the cattle product. The more people that are working on, the better. But what we believe that we're doing with the cultivation of seeded substrate and working on solving that so then we can have a constant constant production of asparagopsis year-round uh, so once we unlock that, we'll have that ability to have that supply to the market year-round. How are you able to encourage and cultivate asparagopsis from scratch? Um, we're initially, we'll be collecting um, brood stock to hopefully create seeded grow lines within our labs. Um, whilst we're cracking that method, we're actually going to use the fragmentation method to attach gametophytes to our lines and grow them out. And then hopefully in a short space of time, we'll actually be after to uh, use our seeded grow ropes. And how successful do you think that will be? Um, we're quite confident. We have an excellent team. Um, we've spent a couple of years researching, but until we actually obviously get it growing, we, we hold high hope. What makes Fremantle a good location to be doing this? Is there something in the water or climate which will aid the growth of the seaweed? Yeah, so Fremantle is really well positioned that we can grow both types of asparagopsis, the tropical version, asparagopsis taxiformis, and then the cold water version, asparagopsis armata. So we actually have a really big growing season here in Fremantle. And yeah, I think there's absolutely something special in the water of, uh, of Derbal Nara. It's the perfect conditions for our aquaculture lease. Um, we have protected waters from the, the islands of Garden Island and Karnak and the fringing reefs of, of Straggler Reefs. Um, but we also have ocean conditions. So yeah, it's the perfect place for us to grow. So you have the lease now. When will things start kicking off? Um, so we installing our aquaculture equipment uh, early next year in January. From there, we'll then be able to attach our grow ropes, um, which we'll have out probably around from Feb. And then our first crop of asparagopsis and other types of seaweed will be around April. Are there any limitations or gaps in the knowledge for you guys in starting this operation? 
Yeah, the, the key gap at the moment is the fact that no one has closed the life cycle of asparagopsis. So when we talk about seeded substrate, we need the ability to induce sporulation of asparagopsis, which is getting it to release its spores on on a cue that we can simulate. Um, so there's cues in the environment um, as the water temperatures change, different seasons, asparagopsis in the wild re will release its spores. We need to replicate that in our lab environment. And it's we've got a really good team working on that. Um, but at this stage, it's very much a gap to, to having that constant supply of asparagopsis. So yeah, we will continue to fund research um, into solving that. And we believe that if we crack it, we'll have that first marine lease and ability to supply asparagopsis year round. What's your big goal out of all of this, starting up this initiative? I suppose the, the big goal would be to be able to expand the industry to such a scale in Western Australia that we have a processing plant here, um, that everything's able to be done here and that we move on such a scale um, with other leaseholders uh, to be able to produce enough asparagopsis to cover all the cattle in Australia and then hopefully move overseas. Um, and if we're able to do that, then we can seriously make massive impact on climate change. Um, that would be probably my biggest goal. Yeah, and it's similar for me. Um, basically, I think Mick and I both just want to save the world. Uh, one piece of seaweed one, one at a time. At a time. <laughs> Simple. Save the world. Uh, that is Chris DeKuyper, co-founder of Fremantle Seaweed. He was ending that story from Sophie Johnson. You also heard from his business partner, Mick Holland. It's 21 past one. Coming up, a bit of fun on stations in the Territory. Looking back at some of the... Well, some of the less than finer moments that are coming up after Zach Brown Band. This is Knee Deep. Zach Brown Band, that is Knee Deep. It's 24 past one. G'day, I'm Cody Hammer. I'm from Normal Normal Station in the Northern Territory, and you're listening to the Country Hour. Now, the Northern Territory is famous for its outback cattle stations, and being a ringer from the top end, it's become an iconic job immortalised in song by Slim Dusty, of course. But like all jobs, sometimes things don't go to plan. Matt Brand caught up with some of the young guns of the Territory's cattle industry who shared their favourite station stuff-up. Hi, I'm Jo from Brunette Downs Station on the Barkley. A few weeks ago, I was at Eva Downs during peak forage budgeting. Um, trying to get back to the compound at 5pm, got a flat tyre, jacked up my ute, it's a Hilux, um, got my spare tyre out, which was a Land Cruiser 5 stud tyre. Whose fault was that? Uh, I think the mechanics had a bit to answer for there. <laughs> and so what did you do? <laughs> um, I had to leave my ute there for a few days, had to get a new tyre from Brunette Downs, had to get rescued by the manager. Hey, Jan. Um, I'm Sean. I'm from Delamere Station, head stockman there. Um, so I rolled in back to Delamere there at the start of last year and the boys had come up to me and said that there was something missing from the workshop and I had a look around. Couldn't really work out what it was. Um, anyway, the next day they, they, didn't, they didn't want to tell me anything and I went for a drive around the horse paddock there and I noticed that there was one Toyota stuck out, stuck out on a fence. I thought, oh, funny. What's going on out there? Walked out there. He was bogged up the eyeballs. I then drove up a little bit further and the tractor was bogged in. 
bogged and then there was a motorbike just ahead of it and a buggy went back and yes lost it for a little bit but we got them out <laughs> how long do you have to wait until you got them out uh, it took a month a month yes a month <laughs> nobody else can do the job like a ringer from the top end hi i'm jimmy and i work for the ntca running the real jobs program and this station stuff up isn't my yarn but um i heard it last year and it was based at Warnhill Station, where they had 3,000 heifers ready to get trucked off. And tourists went through and left the gates open. Oh. And they lost 3,000 heads straight into the National Park, <laughs> never to come out again. Oh. So, yeah, that would have been a pretty costly station stuff up, I reckon. <laughs> oh, I'm Henry Ponder. I'm the pilot at Newcastle Waters. Stuff up, sort of leaving the station, keen to get to a draft. And I swear this person looked familiar but sort of disregarded it. And um, <laughs> he was on the side of the road, changed your time. Like, oh, I don't know anyone else that could be around here. Sort of left him, kept going. And um, then I get a call from my uncle saying that he's just at the pub up the road from the station. If you want to catch up. I was like, oh, I'm in Catherine now, sorry. And um, he's like, I've had a shocking day. Eh? And I was like, oh, you're kidding. And, <laughs> Yeah, it turns out I left my uncle on the side of the road. To turn <laughs> and um, yeah, I owed him some beers after that. My name is Danielle Darcy. I'm from Albany Springs. Uh, I, it's not my stuff up, but one of the guys that I work with. Um, so we have this uh, paddock is called Nobby Nunner and it's got a hill in the middle of it and it's probably the hardest hill to get up on the whole of the property it's like a very narrow road to get up top and the top's kind of flat so the cattle can walk between the two paddocks on the top of this hill so my dad told one of the boys to take some lick bags up there and hang them on the fence to like deter the cattle away Anyway, so he, he put some lick bags on his bike and rode up the top of this hill and put them on the fence. And my dad called him up and he's like, what the hell are you doing? It turns out that he'd taken three 20-kilo full bags of lick <laughs> and put them onto the fence instead of empty ones to kind of blow in the wind and get rid of all the cattle. So he got nicknamed Lick Bag from then on. <laughs> Yeah, g'day, I'm Ollie Thorne, I'm with Austrex. A um, couple of years ago, prior to working for Austrex, I was on the Barclay um, chasing a bull through some pretty thick lance wood and uh, hit a big tree stump on a 230. Um, the bike stopped and I kept going. Um, my nuts went straight into the, the fuel tank. <laughs> yeah, I jammed them pretty hard and she blew up as big as a tennis ball. Um, Took me trip to Tennant Creek, trip to Catherine, and trip to Darwin before I got flown down to Sydney, and uh, and they saved her. So. I'm... <laughs> Aren't they? There were some ringers from the top, well, from the Northern Territory sharing their favourite station stuff-ups. I like that some people just threw others under the bus and didn't uh, fess up to their own. But, um, yeah, thanks to Matt Brand for that. That is it from me for the Country Hour today. I'll catch you at the same time tomorrow from half past 12. I hope you have a lovely rest of your Thursday. We'll catch you tomorrow. It's one thirty.